Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Biker Chit Chat. I'm your host, Biker Bethany, and I'm on a mission to find female riders from all over the planet to find out their stories of how they got into the motorcycle world. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Vanessa Ruck. She is a crazy enduro rider, and she's got some pretty gnarly stories. She actually had an accident that's left her in pain, still seven years later, every day of her life. She was very honest in talking about her experience, recovery, what she's doing every day to just get through it. But she's a real inspiration in not letting what happened to her in the past stop her in the future from living the life that she wants to live. This is a really great one, so I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Vanessa. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Of course, thanks for joining me today. I've been meaning to get in contact with you for a while because, well, you've got some pretty interesting stories, haven't you, with all your travels and everything with the bike and, I mean, your massive accident, of course, is uh, straight away is the first thing on your Instagram page that I saw and I wanted to actually kick off with that, if that's okay with you, um, find out what actually happened. It looked like quite a major accident. Yeah, it's uh, often quite easy for people to look at what I'm up to now and just see me as, you know, a professional athlete and a racer and motorbike rider and traveler and everything. And you sometimes don't always see my past and you think it looks all shiny, exciting and amazing. And maybe I probably started riding when I was like three years old and none of that's true. I live and manage chronic pain on a daily basis and I started riding motorcycles since a pretty life-changing accident on a bicycle so it's a very unusual journey into becoming a professional motorcycle rider for sure so the accident um 2014 it was a very normal tuesday i'd been in the office all day i back then i was an account director in marketing so very office kind of base really career driven sports were literally like what my life revolved around uh, lunch breaks in the gym cycling to work every day 16 miles wakeboarding after work in the evenings and then every weekend I'd be chasing the wind kite surfing or mountain biking rock climbing snowboarding holidays everything with sports but yeah this Tuesday get on my bicycle on the way to actually go to the wakeboarding lake for the evening with some friends and my husband and uh I didn't make the lake, let's just say that. I was cycling out of central Oxford. Traffic lights in front of me turned green, which is awesome. You you know, you pedal on. And a car come the other way. Decided not to stop at that red light. And that was, that was my life changed in a moment. Cut straight across in front of me, left me with nowhere to go. And I went straight into the side of that car. Now, I wasn't a bleeding mess on the side of the road or scraped up by paramedics or anything graphic. I was pretty shaken up. I'd just been hit by a car. But actually, it looked pretty all right. I went to hospital in an ambulance and I was discharged later that evening with bruising. If you fast forward seven years, which was the bulk of my recovery, I've since had seven surgeries, including a fully reconstructed right shoulder and right hip. So when you think about bruising versus the actual implications of my body... It couldn't be more wrong, really. And it kind of gives you a bit of an idea of how much of a battle it's been with the medical professions to try and get to a point where ultimately I was trying to get to a point where I'm pain free. I've had to readjust my expectations. I live and manage pain now on on an hourly, daily basis, but instead set my expectations on still trying to get up and make the most of every day. 
not using my body, my past, my accident that will haunt me forever as an excuse to give up. And, you know, as a motorcycle racer now, now there's a bit of a journey to how I started to then get into motorbikes because I wasn't an active rider at the time and the, the mental health side was huge. So I even had a clinical diagnosis of fear of the road, lots of mental health struggles. But the journey through to motorcycles has been... Uh, massively helpful on the mental health side of things but also one of those things where like that escalated and I feel like my tagline in life seems to be that escalated these days because (laughs) I I suppose once you've been bed bound once you've been in a situation where you can't even go to the toilet on your own where you're depending on your husband to even brush your own hair and, and tie it up you certainly realise how valuable every single day is. And so I've certainly been on a mission to to grow as a human, to get better at what I do, try different motorcycles, push my riding ability, improve my skill, prove to myself that I can, uh, prove to the people that say I can't because of my past that I can, and try and make the most of every day, basically. Because the home that I'm living in, you know, it hurts. And there are many moments where I think about how much my body sucks, but actually, there's so much that you can still seem to sort of manage and do if you are willing to get around your own excuses and, and adapt. And I definitely have to adapt with my body. But yeah, I'm pretty much addicted to life on two wheels now. I can see your Harley Davidson sign behind <laughs> you and obviously know that you're a bit of a Harley lover. But actually, jokes aside, Harley Davidson was probably one of the most critical steps in my biking and mental health recovery from the accident which I'm more than happy to go into but yeah I've got a, a definite soft spot so far oh yeah I've got my ring on soft spot for Harley I've even got my, uh, my oh, Harley ring awesome. and my bracelet and Love yeah that. that's Good so fan. cool <laughs> well I want to touch on I want to go more in depth with so much you just now said Vanessa I mean firstly oh my gosh I can't believe what you've gone through that is crazy And I guess it's one of those things, unless you've been put in that situation, it would be really difficult to even understand. Um, So was you a motorcyclist when that accident happened? Yeah, so when I was 20, I was doing my undergraduate degree at university and I had a work placement in the Bahamas on a remote island. Now, as a poor student, I couldn't afford a car, needed a way to get around, and I, I ended up getting this tiny little motorbike. Now, what I don't really understand now looking back is that I didn't get biking like I wasn't a biker it was literally a means of transport around the island I could put my spear down the side of the bike fins and snorkel on the back and I just buzzed around the island exploring but I didn't get biking I wasn't a biker if you know what I mean I came back Mm. to the UK to finish my degree I did my master's and I thought well I should probably get my full license (laughs) because technically I was I had a little 250 so technically I shouldn't have been riding that bike but I was on a really remote island and it was insured and MOT'd and a bit naughty but anyway <laughs> so I did my full direct access course and got my license and it was sort of one of those tick boxes that I had I had no intention of getting a bike I didn't I wasn't a biker I didn't get it and then after the accident it was series of stepping stones I suppose towards where I am now now the first part of that was that I used to commute into central Oxford every day on a bicycle now if I wanted to be lazy and get in the car and cycle to work it took me half an hour to cycle in 
if I wanted to be lazy, I had to get up earlier because it would take me an hour and 20 minutes to get in the car. So being lazy wasn't an option. Like rain, shine, snow, ice, I cycled to work. Uh, And I was no longer able to cycle to work because my body was a pathetic, broken mess. And I probably shouldn't talk about myself like that. But uh, I also had change disorder as a mental health uh, condition after after the accident. I didn't see myself as me. And I literally saw myself as a broken, pathetic mess that wasn't me. Vanessa was this pre-accident person. And, uh, yeah, it was a Friday night. I was sat with my husband and a friend having a gin and tonic. The conversation must be really boring because I was just, like, drifting off in my head. And I came up with this genius idea that I should get a motorbike because I could skip the traffic, save money on fuel. I wouldn't have to worry about parking. I could get to the office in no time at all. And instead of, like, battling, sitting in the car – and sitting in a car to this day hurts my hip. It hurts less to be on a motorbike. Hmm. And, you know, when you're then sat in the traffic for an hour and a half morning and night, that's a lot of time sat in a car getting stroppy and angry and like <laughs> cars. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I, I went on to, I presume it was eBay back then. And there happened to be a Suzuki Bandit 600 in my town. Kind of an affordable price, old, goodish condition. And it was like the stars aligning. This was fate. It's meant to be. Went to see it the next day. Bought it. Went and got some motorcycle kit. And then I had to ride the thing. Now, I'd been diagnosed with fear of the road. It wasn't just me being like, there's an element of, yeah, I'd been hit by a car. I'm going to be pretty intimidated going back on the road. But it had sort of maybe escalated a little bit more than just that. Mm-hmm. And so getting on that bike was terrifying and brutal. And I had to work through quite a lot of of fear anxiety freak outs crying etc for many 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 rides first time 10th time 50th 200th time I'd still have freak outs on that bike and even now nearly nine years on I still have moments where a car will come from like that perfect direction and I'll be like that straight back to to the accident I can see it as vividly now as I could nine years ago and yeah so I started commuting on this bike And then everybody who's a biker understands N plus one and how, you know, they breed and you end up with one bike and then you have two bikes and then suddenly you want a third bike. And, you know, some people like little black dresses. They're all different, right? Little different black. I like motorbikes. So (laughs) I I possibly have seven now, which is pretty insane. But I mean, it is. It is a very huge part of, of my life now, you know, the different types of racing bikes. And I've got, you know, my, my Harley thug still in there. So there's a bit of a variety. But the the journey, I mean, that's just me getting onto the, the road. The, the journey of stepping stones to now being like an international kind of rally racer in the desert and hard enduro and stuff. There's a few more steps. So you just need to tell me when I'm talking too much because I also know that I will just be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I get excited. No, you're fine, honestly. It's really interesting to hear. So I'd love to get into like the your the mental health side of it as well as to how you actually managed to get through that. Um, but first, I just wanted to ask, so after your accident, like you seemed like you were okay, but there was clearly a lot of things going on inside. So what was the first thing that happened there that indicated actually I'm not okay from this? So I was sent home with bruising and told, you know, take a week or two off work, rest up. You're going to be pretty sore, but it will, you'll start to feel better in a week or two. Uh, time starts going by, swelling's going down, bruising's going down. 
pain isn't changing. And at that point, I thought, right, I need to get back to my GP. And I think I went to see my GP twice. And eventually it was like, okay, we'll send you to a a shoulder specialist. The shoulder was the the bigger, more immediate issue. So started seeing a shoulder specialist and it was very much, you know, do your physio. I'll have another steroid injection. Oh, sorry, little girl, you know, go away and do your physio. Most people get over this in six to eight weeks. I'll have another steroid injection. And eventually I just went, you know what? I don't trust you. I'm telling you my shoulder isn't okay. And just doing more physio, which is excruciatingly painful and adding more steroid injections just doesn't feel right for me. So I ended up getting a a second opinion. And before I'd even sat down in his office, he said, why have you refused surgery? And I'm like, I'm in the right hands now. Um, And so it it wasn't quite as smooth sailing as that. There were actually it was a third specialist who sorted my shoulder out. But there's an element of an easy example is if you if you do a scan of that, that looks attached, right? Yeah. Whereas if you scan it that way, your shoulder's not attached. Sure. So there's a little bit of uh, a lot of bit, not a little bit, a big bit of things were missed, not not sort of scanned, checked, tested, diagnosed in the right way. But yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, and the situation with the hip was actually way more dramatic than the shoulder. But it meant that I mean, realistically, if I'd seen the right people the week of the accident, my recovery probably didn't need to be anywhere near as long or as brutal. But I can't change that. That's that's the way the way it went for me with with medical teams, which. Yeah, that's unfortunate, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you do hear these things happening sometimes when things get missed. It's, you know, it's not nice to hear. It's really horrible. So and now you're left with pain every day. I mean, how what kind what is it like a nerve pain or is it like a a phantom um, pain because you've had it for so long or how what actually no it? it's the the inside of of my joint is just not not okay all the cartilage and soft tissue and stuff like that is just not not happy so it grinds and catches and pinches and hurts so um it's just not a happy joint the good news is it's good news i basically told of a 95 percent certainty i need more hip surgery but I'm too young for a replacement. Like, bear in mind, I'm 36 now. When this sort of first started happening, I think I was like 28. And a hip replacement generally lasts 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And you can only really have two or three. The more you push your body, the shorter those scales. And so if you're 30 and you think about having a hip replacement that might last 15 years you've not got enough hips to span your life. So they wouldn't let me have a hip replacement. But medical advancements are changing so dramatically. Like even when when I first had the accident, if you got a hip replacement, you'd be like, are you a small, medium or large? You can have a longer leg or a shorter leg. Whereas Mm -hmm. now they'll custom print one to match your body. So the medical advancement is huge. And I'm hoping... That when I do then have a hip replacement, my pain might go, should go. But at this point of time, I don't have the mental strength to go into that surgery. I need to make this hip last as long as I possibly can to give me the longevity of the fact that hips don't last that long and you'll need multiple replacements, etc. So there's 
I guess there's a bit of hope for the future, but also, you know, the idea of knowing that that's coming is a little bit of a, a rainy cloud. But I'll deal with that challenge when I get to it. For now, yeah. I'm not going to let it slow me down. Yeah, sure. You're a strong girl, quite clearly. I mean, and I guess this leads us on to the mental side of it, because that's a whole another thing that you've obviously been dealing with. So what's what's been going on yeah. with that? So on the physical side, it's been brutal, like two reconstructed body parts. The mental side has been harder. And I always try and emphasize that because it's not like I've had a sprained ankle. I've had pretty catastrophic work on my body to then turn around and say that the mental health has been harder I just want to emphasize that it's totally normal for people to have struggles with mental health it's totally acceptable and asking for help is a sign of strength I got to a point where I realized I wasn't okay I had some really dark days I really you know hit a bad place and I've got a really loving supporting husband I've got family around me you know I still had a roof over my head, you know, all those things that make you think, you know, you should be fine, Vanessa, you're stronger than this. No, mental health sucks. And I wasn't okay. Life as I knew it had changed. Even on like the friendship circle side, all of my friends were around the sports that I did. You quickly learn which ones are your real friends who will come and sit next to a hospital bed or play board games on a Saturday. And there's a whole load of friends I've never even seen again. Really? we are friends, right? But you're, you were friends because you were all kite surfing together or mountain biking together and stuff. But anyway, I'm digressing yeah. again. On the mental health side of things, uh, depression, change disorder, which I briefly mentioned earlier, where I no longer saw myself as me. I talked about myself in the third person, which was mad confusing for other people because they're like, wait, who's Vanessa? I thought you were Vanessa. Oh um, gosh, yeah. What else? Fear of the road. I wasn't in a great place and I did ask for help. Now, for anyone struggling any kind of mental health disorders, or it doesn't even need to be a disorder, just anyone struggling at all. It doesn't need to be have a tick box. It doesn't need a label. If you are struggling with self-doubt or self-hate or lack of hope or no motivation or questioning your abilities in life, all kinds of things. Hating, self-hate is a big one. I often have, have that, those thoughts, especially with the pain. Ask for help. It's a sign of strength. So I ended up asking for help. Sadly, there isn't this big red button where you ask for help and then you press it and then like suddenly rainbows come out. It took a lot of time, a lot of crying for me, a lot of crying, a lot of processing, you know, even things like the anger against the driver. I had to cope with that. You know, me being angry against the driver does nothing to change my situation other than make it worse. It's not going to make my injuries any better it's not gonna make it not happen nothing can make it not happen but anger inside you is a horrible like you feel it it's physical it's not a good emotion to have and being able to get to a point where I released that anger was a huge part of that journey the acceptance of my situation was huge you know the amount of self-pity and hate and upset playing the victim card None of that helps you. All it does is rot you inside. And being able to just go, you know what? It's happened. It's done. It's in my past. What am I dealing with right now? And what can I do? What do I have in my control to change today and my future? And that's a really important part, like that sort of acceptance piece. Definitely. Uh, On a daily basis, I'm managing pain. And pain is exhausting. 
it's very all-consuming it's very distracting it's not good for your own energy and projections like how often have you been you know say you're in a supermarket and a checkout girl is a little bit rude to you yeah most people end up being rude back and so your own energy changes how other people react to you so if you're in pain and you're grumpy all the time you're going to end up with a really, really grumpy life. So being able to learn to control and manage and not hide, but control that pain is yeah. so important for like everything because you, the energies come and go. If you smile at someone, most of the time, unless, you know, they think you're a creepy weirdo, most of the time they'll <laughs> smile back. Yeah, and, I mean, that's so full to life. So mindfulness was the biggest thing that I learned through my sort of therapy process. It's something that my I don't know if therapist is the right word or the counselor or psycho person. I don't actually know what the correct word is, but she mentioned it in a few sessions and I kind of was really intrigued. And so I went home and I started watching YouTube videos and reading articles and learning more about the mindfulness. And mindfulness is one of those things where most people just suddenly go, hum, no, I'm not no. the sort of person that's going to sit and hum and meditate. I'd love to say I could do that. But, you know, maybe when I was stuck in the hospital bed or at, at home, yeah, I did a bit of that. But now, no chance. Mindfulness for me has been realizing and learning to control the reality of the fact that we are in control of our own thoughts. We are in control of everything that's going on in our mind. All of those conscious thoughts we can control. Our conscious thoughts directly link to our subconscious thoughts, which we can then start to, to control and learn and not manipulate, but vary. And our emotions are the right result of our thoughts. And so an easy example of this is when I think about my pain and I start to recognize what I call my trigger thoughts. Now, I could be sat there and my hips hurting. That initial thought where I go, oh, my hips really hurting is my initial trigger thought that I've learned to, to recognize and catch really, really quickly. I don't always catch it and I still end up in a spiral. But I've got two options at that point. One is let that thought stay in my mind. So let's go with that route first. Shit, this sucks. Why does my hip have to hurt? This is really unfair. Why does my hip have to hurt? Why does my body have to be so shit? This is just awful. I hate my body. I wish things didn't have to happen. Why did the accident? You go into this spiral of self-pity, self-hate, anger, annoyance. And you get to the point where you start to get upset because you feel, you're feeling sorry for yourself. You're angry. You're freaking hurting. And it's not fair. Like, why does it have to be like that? And you go into this spiral all the way down until I'll start crying. And I'll be really upset because it's really unfair. And like, why did it have to happen? Fucking hell, sorry. Um, <clears throat> You're fine. And at the end of it, I'm in the exact same body, with the exact same pain, but now I'm crying. Whereas if we rewind and go back to that initial trigger thought, where my hip hurts, and I go, right, stop. We're not going there. What can I do about it? Do I need to take a painkiller? Do I need to stand up? Do I need to sit down? Do I need to do a physio? Do I need to stop what I'm doing? What can I do right now? But we are not going there, Vanessa. It is what it is. What can I do about it? Let's listen to the birds. Let's put on some music. Let's call someone. Let's distract myself. And at that point, I've used mindfulness, which is the ability to effectively control your thought process, 
and I've stopped myself going into a catastrophic spiral that will end up with me being upset. And instead, I've gone, right, I'm going to take control of the situation. What can I do about it? And it's very similar with dealing with stress, fear, anxiety. Very often, our brain will just escalate in worst case things. Whereas actually, when we go, no, stop, what are we actually dealing with? Take spiders. Loads of people are terrified of spiders, right? I am. <laughs> and if you actually, yeah, there we go. So this might help you. If we actually then go, stop, I'm looking at you, spider. What can you actually do to me? Nothing. I mean, in England, if you go to Australia, cancel this. But in England, I mean, it might crawl on you. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, technically, maybe it could bite you, but highly unlikely. We don't really have biting spiders in England, so if they do bite you, you're probably not even going to feel it. It might crawl on you, really, is all it's going to do. What are you scared of? It's like taking the situation where our mind, worst case scenarios, and breaking it down into the actual facts. And actually, you know what? Hi, little spider. Have a good day. I'm just going to ignore you. Uh, I'm just totally waffling on here. Um, but no, I think... honestly, it's interesting. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, I know you said you can't sit there and, and do meditation, but a few years back, I did start doing it. It was actually in lockdown. I think everyone went through a bit of a down phase mm-hmm. in lockdown, didn't they? And I was yeah. feeling really, you know, trapped in my own head. And it was at that point I looked into mindset, everything you've just spoken about. And I downloaded a meditation app. And I started doing it. I sat and I still do. I sit for every day, only for 10 minutes, just every single day. That's how I start my day. And it has changed my life. It really has. Like you say, just everything. It's all mindset, isn't it? And what you think about comes about. And I totally get it when you get stuck in those like downward spirals, if you're in pain, when you start thinking negatively, more negative things happen. But quite the opposite. If you are more positive, you're much more likely yeah. to then have a positive day. It's so true. So I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is, is that you can get out of bed on the wrong side. You yeah. can. But it's your choice not to let that be your day. Yeah, 100%. I fully agree. So did you manage to see the driver? Have you had a conversation with the driver that ran in? No. Now, I they stopped at the scene, and I have like this vague image of them in my head. But the 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 mind does amazing things, and I don't know if my brain has filled in that memory or whether it's actually a memory from from the time. I've never spoken to them. It would be interesting to to know if they know what I've been up to since the accident, or even know the implications of what happened to my body when they when they did that they were obviously prosecuted and uh, I had to take them to court for all the medical expenses and everything like that but no I'd I'd be up for speaking to them but I think it would be a very abstract I don't know how I'd react to that to be fair I have to go into that with my husband holding my hand (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure I guess it's one of those things where over the years you've probably almost imagine seeing them and what you would say to them and telling them what you've been through but at the same time I guess it's not going to change anything is it no and there's this weird thing that I kind of recognized probably about four years ago now where in a really sadistic way I'm grateful for the accident if I could go back in time I wouldn't change a thing even though sat right here I'm hurting sat here talking to you 
but I still wouldn't change it because it's taught me so much about what's important in life. Really small things like what is worth having an argument with your husband about? Like, what are we even arguing about? It's totally irrelevant. What's worth getting upset about? You know, what actually makes you happy? Back then I was doing crazy hours in an office for like more money. Did I need more money? No, I didn't. It's not all about money. It's about experiences and friendships. And it's just given me a completely more fresher, more grounded understanding of what's important in life. And, and it's sad that it takes being hit by a car to really get that level of appreciation. Yeah. But strangely, I'm grateful for it. Plus, the girl on a bike wouldn't exist, that's for sure. Yeah, so let's get into that then. So how did, you know, entering into your motorcycle journey and Harley Davidson, how did that make you who you are today? So the Harley Davidson is probably the most important step with that. However, the actual creation of the Girl on a Bike's Instagram account, which obviously started with zero followers and zero friends, was me bedbound after my third hit, third surgery. I felt like I just needed something to put some energy into. I was struggling mentally. So I started sharing photos of me from before the accident. Like, look how cool I used to be. I could snowboard and kite surf and rock climb. And then I ran out of photos because I couldn't make any more cool pictures. And I thought, well, oh, crumbs, what do I do now? So I started being honest and sharing what I was going through. And I sort of had the hope that maybe I would connect with other people who were also battling, struggling with things, and maybe I could learn something from them, we could help each other. What I didn't realise is that people would get energy from my story and that I've got a relatively glass-half-full kind of approach to life, you know, find the positives, get rid of excuses, try and make the most of it kind of stuff. And people have kind of got energy out of my energy, which gives me energy, which helps me give energy, and it's like this amazing spiral never for one moment expected it would you know grow and then eventually become something that I could you know start racing and all of that kind of stuff it's definitely been a progressive journey now if you turn around to me seven years ago and said in seven years time or nine years ago when I got hit by the car in nine years time you'll be a bit professional motorcycle rider traveling around the world I would have choked my drink but life is one crazy journey and I'm a yes person, <laughs> which is why my friends have called me the, that escalated hashtag. Because, again, it's just that I hope positive energy and I say yes to stuff and, you know, terrifies me and scares me and puts me outside my comfort zone. But that's where we grow. That's where we learn. Yeah, uh, so the Harley Davidson, my husband was in Afghanistan with the RAF. He's in the Air Force the missed one of our wedding anniversaries so I decided to randomly get two Harley Davidsons for an afternoon just from Abingdon dealer and we went for a little test ride on them zero intention to buy you can see where this is going <laughs> within a week we went from zero intention to buy to ordering two and uh which was it we made uh I have a street street bob 2015 street bob and nice. Alex had a 48 sportster oh, cool nice then yeah, best decision in my mental health recovery going because I was at a time where I didn't I didn't see the point of much. I was in a bad place mentally. Why would I bother taking time off work or trying to do anything at the weekends because I can't do anything fun. 
All I wanted to do was sports, and I couldn't do them. I was broken. I was at a slightly higher point of the roller coaster as such, as far as, you know, bedband surgery, getting a bit better, bedband surgery, getting a bit better. And the Harley made me realise that I could have a bit of adrenaline, a bit of wind in the hair, adventure, whilst effectively sat on a sofa with an engine, right? I mean, a cruiser is such a comfortable bike. You've got an open hip position. Once your foot's on that peg, your hip's not moving. You know, only non-bikers think, oh, well, how do you hold the weight of a motorbike with your hip? And it's like, if I had to hold the weight of the motorbike, I wouldn't be able to ride any bike because you don't hold the weight of a motorbike. <laughs> That's ridiculous, <laughs> especially not a 320 kilo Harley. And then you don't steer with your handles, your arms. Like you can ride a motorbike round a roundabout with no arms. Like they're yeah. not. Uh, but it's only non-bikers that go back. How did you do that with bad? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> We got these two bikes, and I think we probably did about 25,000 miles on them across the, the following few years between surgeries, because I've had five five more surgeries since getting those two bikes. Did maybe 15 countries around Europe, and it just became a new sense of adventure. My husband is mad supportive. He wouldn't go kite surfing without me. He was just oh. like, why would I go kite surfing without my soulmate? It wouldn't be fun. Let's find things that we can do together. I mean, he's an absolute rock. And so life changed and we started doing touring on, on the bikes. And then I suppose my adrenaline and extreme sport kind of arm was always rumbling away. Like I wanted to get active again. And when I was bed bound after my first hip surgery, I came up with the idea of wanting a dirt bike. I wanted to learn to off road because I'd fallen in love with motorcycles and but I wanted the the extreme, the burn, the physical side of the sports. And it was like, well, motorbikes off-road. That makes sense. So we went out and got me one. And it was five months till I could even sit on it. But it was there as a goal, as a reminder, as something to work towards and drive towards, which was huge. Goal setting in, in recovery is absolutely critical. Mm. And then, yeah, started. Went, I remember, still remember the first day I went green laning just in Oxfordshire. Freaking hell, it was like I didn't, I'd never ridden a bike before. If you think you can ride on the road, go off-road and, yeah, you don't know how to ride anymore. Like sure. Bambi. But very quickly I could tell this is something I want to do more of. I think I unfortunately only rode that bike for about five weeks until I realised that I needed more surgery. Not because of the bike, no connection at all, but because of complications. And so, yeah, I ended up having to have more surgery on my hip. So over the, that last six and a half, probably nearly seven years since I got that first first riding on that bike, I've had another four hip surgeries uh, where there's dramatic periods of time where you're not riding. But when I am in that recovery, I always had that goal to work towards that I wanted to get, get back on a bike and get riding, etc. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It, that is actually so true. Having a goal with stuff like this is such a massive part because you need that that little steps along the way with like all stuff in life even you know trying to build a career online and stuff like that you're thinking oh you know I want to get to this massive number but it's like well hang on just little steps at a time reach this number first and I guess the same with you and your recovery it's it's probably quite an important part I'd imagine yeah yeah big time and I recommend to anyone if you haven't got a goal figure out some goals, something that like gets you excited, something that maybe scares you, grows. And it's totally okay to set goals that you don't know if you'll ever make come true. But if you don't try, you won't move towards it. And even if you don't make the goal happen, you'll be further than you were if you'd ever even tried. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. 
So what's next in like the journey for you? Have you got some new plans and goals to reach like this year or in, even further in the future? Yeah, so there's there's a few new style of motorbiking that I want to do. I I'd ride all different types of motorbikes and I'm not necessarily the best on any of them but I will have a smile on my face and I'll get out there and give it my best. That's for sure. But I really want to try things like flat track, um, sidecar, uh, speedway kind of racing as well. So I'm hoping I might be able to get some of that in this year, but on the, on the racing side, the next big one is the second biggest rally raid in the world after the Dakar, which is the Morocco Desert Challenge. And I'm doing that in April. I actually pick up my new rally bike in a few days and I'll be getting that built and kitted out and yeah, heading into the desert in Morocco. And that's a, nice. it's a big, big boy race. There's 450, 500 competitors, including the massive truck lorries, pickup trucks, cars, SSVs, motorbikes full road but navigation so you're following a paper scroll on your handlebars whilst navigating sand dunes five times the size of your house um yeah i'm doing a lot of training on the fitness side for that i know that i'm gonna have to manage a lot of pain to get through that race uh i know it's not going to be an easy one but my Mm -hmm. goal is to make the finish line it the Tunisia Desert Challenge is a race that I did last year that was the sister race to Morocco, and it was absolutely brutal. You can actually watch the full behind the scenes of that rally on my YouTube channel. It's probably one of my favorite series that I've done. But I think a lot of people look at this rally and stuff and think it's all shiny and amazing and actually doesn't look that hard. You've got an engine. It's by far one of the most physically and mentally demanding sports in the world because you've got to survive in the desert on your own on a motorbike motorbikes by default want to lie over because they don't balance on their own add sand yeah they just want a nap you're following the very complex road but navigation whilst trying to navigate that terrain and ride at race pace it is mental absolutely mental yeah that's crazy so like how long roughly will it take so my so it's like Tunisia. I think my longest day racing at Tunisia was 13 and a half hours. Obviously, the the less you get lost and the faster you're able to ride, the the lower you're going to get. You know, like the top the top pro guys can do it in maybe six hours, maybe. And it you know it depends on how your bike your day goes if you get any mechanics or anything like that. But I would typically mm-hmm. anticipate that I'll be racing between eight and eleven hours a day for eight days. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> You're eating to the point that you feel sick at every meal. You're taking on calories any opportunity you get. Uh, at Tunisia, I lost two and a half kilos. You probably can't tell because I'm in a massive hoodie and a and a beanie, but I'm a you know tiny 62 kilo size eight girl. Two and a half kilos is quite a lot <laughs> for, for yeah. to lose in a, in a week. So I will definitely be working a little bit harder to try and make sure I take on a bit more calories this time. But it's hard. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it sounds really hard. Do you have like energy gels and stuff like that to help? Like, energy gel, calories? protein bars, yeah. nuts, snacks, high calorie yeah. stuff like pork scratchings. Yeah. Yeah, that's mad. So like the fitness side of it as well. Do you set yourself like a, a plan that you follow or do you have a trainer help you with that? 
I don't have a trainer. Ultimately, the, the best way to get fit for a motorcycle riding is being on the bike because there isn't really any gym activity that fully replicates what wrestling the motorbike is like, you know, like the hand grip and the arms and everything. But even with my life, I can't be on a bike every single day. And so I do try and at least five days a week do some form of, of exercise for a period of time. The reality is that life is busy and it doesn't always happen but I am definitely training hard and I also have to manage my pain there are days where I just have to go you know what I can't do a workout today yeah Um, yeah sure well I guess that must be quite an important side of it is recognizing when you actually do need a rest because like you know with fitness and everything even just for you know someone without that pain having a rest day is as important as having a training day isn't it yeah and then I also have this strange thing where if you were to say like let's wander around town and go around a museum and look at some stuff and my hip's not having a great day I'll be I'll be hobbling a bit I'll be in pain I'll be I'll be feeling pretty rubbish about it but if in that same moment you said right get on your bike and go do an hour's ride or go for a run. I started running about two months ago, which is really exciting. My body doesn't like it, but it's such awesome fizz. Uh, it, my, my hip seems to be coping. But anyway, if you told me, right, put your kid on, go for a run, my brain will switch into this like weird way of processing that pain. And I'll be like, I'm going for a run. The second I stop running, the pain will hit me like a freight train. But I seem to have this ability to just kind of not turn it off. But there's this like pleasure to pain balance where I get so much pleasure out of the fitness, the adrenaline, the endorphins, etc. of it, that it outweighs just about the pain Yeah. somehow. And it's a very weird thing that I've only recently started to recognize. It was actually in New Zealand where I was hobbling around, really feeling rubbish and my hip was properly hurting. And uh, got to the hotel, end of the day, been out on the bikes for maybe 10 hours. We had dinner in an hour and a half. And I was like, right, I'm going for a run. And my friend Emma was like, what do you mean? You're like limping. And I was like, yeah, but my mental health needs a run right now. I need to... I need to do something physical. And obviously I've been on a bike for 10 hours, but it was road riding. So it's, it's not physical. And, uh, she was just like, there's something, (laughs) something weird going on in your head. And it's like, well, if I use my body as an excuse every time, I'd never do any exercise. And people question, well, aren't you doing yourself damage? You know, shouldn't you be listening to your body? And there's an element of, I mean, yes, my body is going to be deteriorating. My hip is going to be deteriorating more quickly as a result of it. But it would still be deteriorating if I didn't. And I value my mental health more. And I've learned what my coping mechanisms are. And that's something that's very personal. So everybody needs to work out where their their balance is Mm. to find their kind of happy spot as such yeah for sure and at the end of the day you know what you're feeling inside so you know that if it's a day that you feel like you need to get out there and you want to do that run or whatever you have got to tally up haven't you that you know your mental health is just as important as your physical health so I do I do see what you mean with that so I also know that when I'm then in the desert in uh, in April and I'm puffing away thinking god I wish I was fitter at least I can look back and go you know what you did everything you could to prepare for this race and I have no regrets 
Yeah, no regrets. That's got to be the one. <laughs> yeah. So what about all your YouTube and everything then, Vanessa? You're doing amazing on there. Is that like your full-time career now? Are you totally transitioned over? Uh, I've been full-time the girl on a bike for three and a half years. And, uh, yeah, so my uh, I've managed to make my world around bikes work financially around it. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, you earning loads of money from YouTube. Like, no, YouTube, unless you've got crazy views, you YouTube isn't a, an income stream. It's a nice little tip each month, maybe, from the advertising of it. But it's more for me that it's a great platform for long-form content and people really enjoy full-on behind the scenes of stuff that I'm doing. And there's so much variation on my YouTube channel from, you know, electric bikes to track days to full desert rallies, hard enduro, random bike reviews, trips in Belize and Colombia. And yeah, there's a massive mix of content on there. Uh, the only yeah. downside if you go to my YouTube videos, you've got to deal with my face and like my ridiculously randomness, but <laughs> it makes me cringe. But anyway, but, yeah, so across <laughs> the different platforms, I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, across all of them. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good chunk of my, my energy. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess that's a really great way for you to focus your energy into that. Because, you know, I know how long it takes to do editing and all of this stuff. So I guess if you are needing that distraction and stuff like that, as soon as you get into, you know, editing something or, you know, if you've just done a trip and you've got all this content, even just to watch it back yourself and then start piecing it together, you get fully immersed, don't you? And it totally takes up all of well my like my vision I'm like that's all I focus on so I, I guess that would be quite good for you if you're in a bit of pain and stuff like that yeah very true definitely it's all uh, all a form of therapy life is <laughs> yeah it totally is so um I'm just gonna pull up a picture that I've seen on your Instagram um and I'll show it to the camera, get you to talk through it, if that's all right. Oh, goodness. So, now I'm intrigued. What's this picture going to be? <laughs> well, actually, I'm gonna, it's a reel. I wanted to talk through this reel because I thought this was pretty cool. Okay. This one. <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. So can you explain to listeners what you're doing in that reel? Yeah, so that's effectively a moving dismount off a motorcycle. It is something that I do a lot on the big adventure bikes or the enduro bikes. The reason I started doing it on those bikes is because it actually reduces my hip pain. By standing on the peg and swinging your leg over, you're reducing the crunch point in the hip, swinging it off the bike. When you've got big panniers on and stuff, it's also a lot easier to get off the bike that way. And you effectively roll to a stop swinging over and you land on the ground as the bike comes to a stop now i was riding with gary who uh of tour one so tour one are a harley davidson official operator and i've done mm -hmm. it was my fourth trip with him in new zealand and he was commenting on a video that i'd done doing that on a on a tiger he was like that's so cool like the the clutch control the balance etc and then i was like oh can you do that on a harley and he was just like what uh no that's ridiculous and I was like we blatantly could do that and he was like well there is one thing that you can do and he did this thing where he came to a stop and put the side stand down 
as he stopped and then got off the bike. And I was like, challenge accepted, Gary. <laughs> he obviously did it with on the bike. So I just went one up and swung over roadside cycle. But the Harley Davidson stands, I don't want to say anything bad about Harley Davidson's, but their stands suck. <laughs> I don't think any, any side stand really is any good. But the fact that the side stands on a Harley one kind of like flex and like, the yeah. bike leads into it. It doesn't bode you to confidence doing a, a rolling stop. So I then yeah. realized that I had to swap my legs round as I came over one side of the bike so that I could hold the stance forwards as it was coming in and make sure it was fully engaged, then get off. And I kill the engine at that last moment so that it coasts in. But the whole time, if you start to wobble, you can just ride away. It's been very entertaining seeing the comments on that video because loads of people are like, oh, that's unnecessary risk. That's freaking ridiculous. And you're like, it's a 387 kilogram bike. If there was any risk, I wouldn't have tried it. But I've got clutch control, throttle control and brakes. My body weight is on one side of the bike, which means if the bike's going to go, it's going to go towards me. And I'm there, which means it's not going to go anywhere. And the side stand's there. I'm not going to let go of the bike until it's on the side stand. And I think that was the, the video that I shared was my fifth attempt. And the first four were more that like I tangled my legs up or the kickstand didn't come out properly or like it wasn't anything catastrophic. It just wasn't as smooth. And then once yeah. I did it once, I could do it over and over again. Uh, it's totally impractical. I'm not going to start getting off. <laughs> a road glide Harley Davidson like that in front of a cafe because it's it's more awkward than just getting off normally but I don't know it's kind of cool to transfer what I do on the bigger off-road bikes to a Harley yeah. and uh, yeah I thought it was so cool I was like that is some serious skill right there I was like that is so cool I love it <laughs> and especially like the baggers as well it's like you can't get a bigger harley than that really can you and i was like you're just showing all the evidence and all the proof that if you've got the skill you can ride and get off these bikes however you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah so true <laughs> <laughs> so Vanessa, what would you say is like one of your most cherished moments you've had on two wheels do you want it to be harley specific or no, just real. whatever. Yeah, just whatever is the first thing that comes to mind, like just a really cherished m moment. Probably the finish line of the Tunisia Desert Challenge. It literally nearly killed me. If you watch the video series, I had a night in the dunes where I had to light campfire to stay warm. Well, it was my bike malfunction. I had to wait for rescue. A night in the dunes sounds like really romantic. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere, you've got shooting stars it's not it's terrifying you're in the middle of the desert on your own in the pitch black you can watch all that on my youtube but making it to the finish of line of that race made me realize that for the first time in my life the hardest thing i've ever gone through was something i had chosen and until that point the hardest thing i've ever gone through is my accident and it was a really empowering feeling to know that i'd kind of retaken control yeah yeah definitely I bet that must have been and just such a sense of achievement as well to have been able to yeah. complete something like that that must be mad yeah the first female to ever enter that race and the first female to ever finish wow so, that's amazing yeah, it, it was a brutal one and yeah. I didn't it didn't go all smooth sailingly it was 
a fight but I kept fighting and I made the finish line so I'd say the finish line of that was surreal and incredible yeah for sure so what about like the other end of the spectrum what is one of the most scariest moments you've had on a motorcycle <laughs> probably that same uh, same experience at Tunisia where I had to sleep in the dunes for a night I mean that was pretty terrifying the following day I ended up having another issue and I had to be medivaced out and I was very close to not being with us now that was the scariest moment I've ever had I think I had five panic attacks whilst oh waiting God. for the helicopter and that was really scary that's all again in the YouTube video um that's probably by far my scariest moment. You know, I've had moments where you're like, oh, that was a near miss, could have died there, or, you know, all of those kind of little things. But that actually was life critical, that that moment. Yeah. And someone had died two days before in the same rally from pretty much the same thing I was facing. So, um, oh my gosh. That was scary. Yeah, that's mad. So was it, what at that moment, like, what was you most afraid of? Was it because you were just completely on your own was you worried that people like couldn't find you or uh no I could feel my body shutting down oh my god yeah. that's horrible. yeah so in a, a brief story of it I had I burnt my clutch out about half 10 in the morning so I'd been racing for four and a half hours at this point and it was totally cool I was in the dunes I was watching all the races go by it was pretty exciting to be fair but seven and a half hours later in 46 degrees heat with no shade my body started to go into into meltdown and if you were to say I had my motorcycle helmet on and someone was hitting me with a branch that's how my head was feeling a sandstorm had picked up and I could barely breathe I was in the fetal position trying to breathe inside a, a scarf my head felt like it was going to implode and I ended up having to call the emergency button, which is terrifying in itself, because when you're sat there in the desert, you haven't had an off, you haven't crashed, you're not broken, you're just hot. Sitting there and going, race control, I need you to drop everything, and I need you to come and get me right now. Psychologically, is a really hard thing to do. And I let's just say I got in a lot of trouble with the paramedics for not hitting that button sooner. They were... Oh, really? Once they'd got me back to the bivouac, I remember lying on that bed. And at this point, you're like, I've been rescued, right? You should be starting to calm down. But the three doctors that are around me weren't calm. And when they're not calm, you know it's serious. Um, yeah. But yeah, they the, the, the medical team at the Tunisia Desert Challenge were fantastic. So I'm still here. But it was scary. Mm, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds really yeah. scary. <laughs> so to lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> yeah, good idea. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask three random questions and then it will link into what we're going to do next. So firstly, what would be your all-time dream motorbike? I would, if I was only allowed one bike, I'd probably have my Husqvarna 250 TE two-stroke hard enduro bike and yeah the the terrain that you can tackle on it the satisfaction the burn that'd be my bike okay cool and then what is your favorite food to eat favorite food to eat it's probably going to be steak asparagus corn cob and chips 
<laughs> okay. And what about a dream destination? For riding motorcycles, Iceland. Ice. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. Um, Wet, and cold, what... disgusting and brutal, but absolutely epic. Yeah, I've heard in the summer it's really beautiful there. The winter sounds a bit gnarly, but yeah. <laughs> well, winter you won't get any daylight, maybe half an hour in the summer, but you can't guarantee nice weather or warm or sunshine even in the summer. It's just a land of extremes. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then are you into cars at all? Do you have a favourite car? Uh, it would be the Bowler Wildcat. If I had like unlimited money, I would buy a Bowler Wildcat, which is pretty fitting considering Bowler have just uh, I've just started a new project with them. I'm going to be doing the UK Rally Series in a Bowler Defender 110, which is the new Bowler, oh, cool. uh, which is terrifying, by the way. And no, I don't do rally racing. They are training me uh, in a car, but the, the traditional Bowler Wildcat would be my dream car. Okay, cool. So we're going to have a game of Would You Rather... And oh, you've got gosh. your husky at stake in every one. <laughs> so, okay. would you rather have your all-time favourite husky to, of course, ride as much as you please, but that would mean never eating your favourite meal again, your steak and asparagus? Or you can have your steak and asparagus every day, but never be allowed the husky again? I pick the husky, hands down. No, No questions. Okay, that was an easy one. Yeah. What yeah. about Iceland then? You can go to Iceland, ride there as much as you like, but no husky all the other way around. Easy. <laughs> okay, what about the car then? Would you rather the car or the husky? If I had both right now to give you one, which would you choose? Oh. Oh, this is a tricky now, one. Now this is a tricky one. Yeah. I'd be seriously torn. Would I be allowed a different motorbike? Or is that... Yeah, like, yeah no you're different? allowed any other motorbike, just not the Husky. I'd go bowler then. Fair enough. Wow, that's cool. So you're actually... That's something completely different as well. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. I had to I had to consider that one. But yeah, I'd go bowler. Freaking hell, the sound of that V8. Oh, it's like a freaking orgasm. Probably shouldn't say that loud. <laughs> oh, <laughs> love those cars. If you don't know what a bowler wildcat looks like, Google it. Sex on wheels. Is it? Yeah, I will check it out because I can't visualise what... I've heard of it before, but I can't visualise what that actually looks like. So I'll check it out for sure. And you'll, you'll see me racing the bowler defender in a couple of weeks' time nice that's exciting cool so just to wrap things up then Vanessa I just want to ask you one more question for okay. someone new sort of coming into the industry really but as a self-reflection if you could go back in time to when you first started riding motorcycles what advice would you give yourself do a day's off-road riding even if you have no intentions of doing off-road, go and do a day's off-road riding with some tuition. You can hire all the kit, borrow the bikes. Your road confidence will quadruple after one day off-road. That would be my advice. Massively. That's cool, yeah. 
Actually, yeah. that's interesting because it's something I've not really done much of, but I've just signed up to a day and I'm going to have a go at doing a bit of off-road because I think it's going to benefit me a lot with my riding. So Mega. Where are you going? Uh, in Surrey, actually. There's a place. Is it's it Rose? A, uh, no, because it's a Inch Perfect is the brand of the bikes that we're doing it on. So it's just like ah. a little tester more of the bikes and stuff. But I thought, actually, I want to do a bit more yeah. off-roading. So maybe I'll advance to Desert Rose after that. But, yeah, it'll be good. No, no, Desert Rose are just an enduro, enduro place. They've got, like, uh, enduro bikes to play on. But I think they're in they're in Sussex, not Surrey. So Inch Perfect Trials have a place up in Manchester. Well recommend that to anyone who's wondering where to go. Trials riding is one of the best ways to improve your skills big time. Yeah. And if you look at all of the top, off-road motorcycle riders in the world they pretty much all came from trials mm, that's cool yeah that's interesting um well anyway thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today and um you're a real big inspiration for everyone out there that you know you're proof that if you're going through something tough you can totally get through it and still live the life you want and such and to push yourself through everything is really amazing no oh. Thank you. And it's been an honour to be on your podcast. So thanks so much for having me. Of course. No worries at all. And I hope to see you soon. No worries. If anyone if anyone has any questions or kind of emotions that have come up through any of this chat, my inbox is always open and they can drop me a message. Just search Vanessa Ruck or the girl on a bike and you'll find me. But yeah, my inbox is always open. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Bike Chick Chat. If you did enjoy it, please don't forget to give it a like, thumbs up, subscribe, follow, comment, all that jazz. You know what to do. And if you'd like to see more from Vanessa and myself, I'll link in the description below all our links to our social media and Vanessa's YouTube where you can check out all of her stories that she was talking about today. So thank you again and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next one.